a theme this morning. I'm, I'm going to um, somewhat trepidatiously recommend a YouTube video by a lady named Celeste Headley. I don't know if you ever do TED Talks, if you ever watch TED Talks, but she does a TED Talk, and it's like 10 tips to a better conversation. She used to work for NPR. I don't know if she may still, but she talks in there. Um, this, uh, this video, there are just a couple of places in there that I'm kind of going. She, she comes from the world, so be ready for maybe some things that, that you would not have included in a talk. But uh, it's a good talk, a really good talk. I, I recommend that you look that up. It's a TED Talk. The lady's name, again, is Celeste Headley. And, and uh, uh, it would be, I think, beneficial for you to watch that. <clears throat> and uh, it's called uh, Ten Tips to a Better Conversation. Uh, a striking thing, I think, that was in chapter 9, and uh, it hit me, this was Dennis's chapter last week, and it hit me as I was reading that chapter. Uh, there's a statement in there. He quotes Hebrews 4 that, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's if you don't, haven't stopped to think about it recently, we get so, we really do, we live our lives uh, <clears throat> pharisaically, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do the other. And it was just, it just stopped me kind of in my tracks when I saw this, that you have a high priest who is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. A high priest who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who has not dealt with you according to your sin, who knows your frame, who knows that you're but dust. And I thought, when I saw that, I thought, you know, I need to take a few moments to stop and think about that and think about the implications of that. And so um, I, just, I just want to kind of bring that up this morning that we kind of look this direction. <clears throat> and Tripp exhorts us to incarnate that person, the person who sympathizes with our weaknesses. A lot of our discussion has been on helping people to see their sin. And most of the examples that Tripp gives in this book seem to be troubled marriages, marriages where there's even violence. And, and uh, so as you're reading this book, I don't know about you, but that's kind of been my focus. And questions we're asking people um, <clears throat> seem to be more on discovering sin in people's lives and... Uh, I, uh, I came across this a couple of weeks ago. I know a young couple, and they have a, their baby, who is a little over a year old, was born with a condition called the Wolf-Hirschhorn syndrome. It's a rare genetic disorder where a couple of chromosomes have changed places in the DNA chain. If this happens somewhere around 19 and 20, you lose your hair. If it happens around two and three, you have profound problems. And this baby requires constant care. And here's this young couple who had their hopes up for everything to go great, and, and they are trying to deal with this situation. 
And I started wondering how would I minister to these people. And it's a perfect place to lob a few gospel grenades. And I'm pretty good at doing that. And, I, and I, I'm sorry to say I'm, I'm real good at doing that. And I think most of us are. With this fresh on my mind, uh, while this was fresh on my mind, I read chapter 9, and this sentence jumped out at me. <clears throat> Tripp says on page 181, he says, Through our questions, Christ changes people. And then he gives several examples of how Christ changes people through our questions. And the sentence that jumped out at me is, The beaten down become strong in hope. And uh, maybe if I hadn't uh, had that conversation before I read chapter 9, the conversation about this baby before I read chapter 9, I might not have seen that. But it really did kind of change my view uh, as I was reading the book when I saw this sentence, and it kind of changed the way I approached it. In the past year, I've talked to four people who have lost spouses, and uh, I, we lost a serviceman at XL Energy a few months ago. And uh, his, uh, his supervisor is a friend of mine, uh, a really classy guy. And uh, how, do you, how do you talk to people? You never have the right thing to say. <clears throat> you never have the right thing to say. But what I'm learning is you can always ask the right question. And you can find the questions. And if you ask the questions and let the people talk about it, you get to understand where they're coming from. And you're not guessing where they're coming from. You're learning where they're coming from. And it drives conversation. And then you're able to talk to people. If you want to be known as a brilliant conversationalist, try this experiment. It'll change your life. Go to a party. You don't have to be the wittiest person there. You don't have to be the person with, with the latest, you know, read all the, the latest news and stuff so you'll have witty things and, and enriching things to talk about. Go to a party and ask people about their lives. And all evening, you just ask people to talk about themselves. And they'll leave thinking you're the most brilliant conversationalist in the world. They won't know anything about you because they're not going to ask any questions. But you've had a great time learning about them, learning about them. And uh, uh, it's uh, so if you're nervous at parties, instead of trying to come up with things to say, come up with things to ask and get people to talk about themselves. <clears throat> Today, we're going to do chapter 10, discovering where change is needed. How are you going to discover that? You're going to ask questions. And uh, <clears throat> I don't remember what my next slide is here. It uh, follows this model of love, know, speak, and do. And here we are. We're on step number two here. Chapter 10 is a continuation of step number two to know people. Knowing the heart knowing where people are coming from. <clears throat> on page 184, if you have a book on page 184, I'm going to read this paragraph real quick. It's in the middle of the page. The sentence starts with personal ministry. 
Personal ministry is not about always knowing what to say. It is not about fixing everything in sight that is broken. Personal ministry is about connecting people with Christ so that they are able to think as he would have them think, desire what he says is best, and do what he calls them to do, even if their circumstances never get fixed. It, in, it involves exposing hurt, lost, and confused people to God's glory so that they give up their pursuit of their own glory and live for his. It is about so thoroughly embedding people's personal stories in the larger story of redemption that they approach every situation and relationship with a God story mentality. We need to be filled with awe at what the Lord has called us to participate in. Um, Do you ever think of your life as being part of God's redemption story? You know, we, we think of the redemption story. It pretty much ended in 90 A.D., and, and we're just living our lives, right? But our lives are part of God's redemption story. And can we help people to see that, that, that their lives, too, are part of God's redemption story? And God's redemption story is for his glory, not for ours. Um, but look at the wonderful things he does for us as he glorifies himself. And... Uh, <clears throat> As we're trying to talk to people, we want to come up with a biblical sense of direction. We want to make, make biblical sense of the information that we gather from people. Last week we talked about data gathering. Um, uh, might be, uh, Dennis kind of alluded to it, that might be kind of an unfortunate expression, but, but we are. We're getting information about people. And then after we get that information, we're going to have to make biblical sense of it. Uh, People do not live lives on the facts. We don't live our lives based on the facts. We're going to talk about that for a little bit. We live our lives on interpretations of those facts. Here's our old friend. I know you love this slide, cognitive distortions. Remember we talked about this some? Why are people depressed? And uh, it's because they have inaccurate interpretations of life. It's a big part of it. And uh, um, we've talked about this some. I want to ask you this morning, um, why, why do you get mad? Why do you get mad? You ever wonder why you get mad about something? Uh, we we uh, events... And experiences are just neutral things. It's when they get into our minds that we assign them values. One, one example of this is, have you ever noticed that uh, you come up to a vending machine and the Butterfingers are always on the second row up there? And, uh, you know, your Butterfinger is about to go off the high dive into a pool that doesn't have any water in it. <clears throat> and uh, this three-foot free fall is not good for a Butterfinger. You know, so you know it's it's like, did you get a butterfinger? Yeah, is that what you wanted? Yeah, I wanted a butterfinger. Does the butterfinger taste like a butterfinger? It tastes like a butterfinger. 
Well, what is the problem? It's broken. It's not supposed to be broken. I don't like my butterfingers broken. So there you have an event. Two people have a different take on it. This person over here is saying, you got a butterfinger. This person saying, it's not supposed to be broken. Right? We assign values to the events. <clears throat> Suppose somebody says, I work for minimum wage, and I think minimum wage should be $15 an hour. And uh, you say, oh, yeah, what makes you think that? So you're already mad. I mean, this is, this is a hot button issue right now and uh, um, everybody's got strong opinions one way or the other <clears throat> and uh, if you look at that issue what makes you mad about that issue and it is the values that you have in your life the things that you have in your life about what you believe to be right or wrong what you believe to be judicious or imprudent what you believe to be fair or unfair that's what makes you mad. That's what causes feelings to come up in your throat. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> um, so, so you say to a kid coming, you know, you're flipping hamburgers in a McDonald's. I'm not even sure you deserve seven fifty an hour, but you sure don't deserve $15 an hour for flipping hamburgers, Right. But you go to a prestigious university and you've been led to believe if I graduate from this prestigious university, when I go to the job fair, they're going to be fighting over me. And, uh, and when I get past that, I mean, it's just easy street from here. And uh, there's no telling how much money they're going to pay me, what kind of position they're going to give me because I have this degree from this prestigious university. And then uh, the blue chip companies that you had in mind that don't even show up at your job fair and you get out of school and you find out that it doesn't work that way. That you, they didn't make you a vice president and they didn't pay you the salary you thought you were going to get. Right? So here we are. Here's the minimum wage guy saying he's 15 bucks an hour. We're telling him he's crazy. We come out of a university with this big degree, and we can't figure out why they're not paying us more money. Where did that come from? Where does that anger come from? It comes from what I think is fair or unfair. Okay? <clears throat> and uh, we need to remember when we're talking to people that they are going to talk to us in those terms of what's fair and what's not fair and in their interpretations of the events. People don't come to us and say, here are the facts of my life. When you're talking to people, they, you'll get some facts, but, but as people explain and you say, well, what was your reaction to this? That's where their interpretation is going to come in. And you need to remember that as they're interpreting their lives, you're interpreting what they're saying. And your interpretations are just a subject to an inaccuracy as their interpretations are. And so uh, you're saying, why is this all this important? How does this tie back to anything we've talked to? Biblical ministry must be biblical. <clears throat> Where did you get your ideas? Where did you get your ideas of what's fair and unfair, what's moral and unmoral? 
or immoral, what's uh, right, what's wrong, what's wise, what's not so wise. Where did those ideas come from? And uh, the absolute golden rule, uh, golden measure, gold standard for, um, for right behavior and wrong behavior, of course, is a biblical worldview. So your biblical worldview tells you what's right and what's wrong. And you've developed that and, and, uh, to the point that it happens automatically and you don't step back and think about it. Uh, but that's where it's coming from. Uh, a biblical worldview. <clears throat> We've got to decide what is correct about the glory of God or the sinfulness of man or the fallen condition of the world or the reality of the devil or the grace of the gospel, the certainty of eternity. What do you believe about those things right there? So if somebody says uh, they, they are following the deal of name it and claim it, and they say, if I claim this evil that's in my life and I release it because I've been promised what I release on earth is released in heaven, uh, they're going to they're gonna live that way, trying to claim their problems and release them. Or maybe somebody has a worldview that says, uh, we're all born pretty good people. We just need a little tweaking. And uh, Jesus just wanted us in heaven and couldn't stand not being with us. So he came down here to rescue us and give us a door into heaven so we could go spend eternity with him. Or you have a person who says, I was born a sinner and I deserve nothing. Well, actually what I deserve is death. And, and Marty posted this yesterday on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it, but it was... Uh, it, grace goes beyond not receiving. Grace goes beyond receiving what I don't deserve. We've all heard that definition. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Grace is not receiving what you do deserve. So if you take that mindset, so you got three different mindsets here. you got the name it and claim it. you got the... I was born pretty good. I just need a little tweaking. And over here, I'm not receiving what I deserve. Well, everybody, everybody along there is saying they're not receiving what they deserve, right? Especially the person who has, I was born pretty good and I need a little tweaking. I deserve better than what I'm getting. This person's saying, I'm glad I'm not getting what I deserve. Okay? <clears throat> you see how that's going to affect judgments you make about life. And so when tough things come into your life, it's going to affect how you deal with it. Um, so how would you counsel somebody who has a baby who has really profound problems and they're not going to go away? And uh, you're going to have to figure out how to, to handle that. You got those three different worldviews there. A couple of them are going to make it real difficult to deal with that. <clears throat> uh, as, we, as we start organizing information biblically, 
We're looking for what themes there are in a person's life. We're asking for what perspectives they might have, what promises, what do they think that the Scripture promises them. And what our goal is, is to learn ourselves what the themes of Scripture are, what the perspectives of Scripture are, what the promises of Scripture are, what the commands of Scripture are, and we need to make sense of this person's situation, make sense of our situations, and we need to speak to this situation based on a biblical grid, an accurate biblical grid. <clears throat> Tripp calls it, uh, he says, gathering information is like gathering laundry. You're going to have to sort it before you can put it in the washer. And uh, he gives, he gives uh, four things. I don't remember whether I put these four things on here. Oh, yes, I did. Okay, there we go. First thing is we need to look at the situation. What is going on with the person? We need to understand their everyday world. We need to take the time to understand their everyday world. And, and let me ask you about the people you go to church with. Do you understand the everyday per- world of the people you go to church with? How much of that do you understand? And uh, uh, even people who you know are, are in a closer circle, of, like everybody here is in a circle of friends. There are certain people here in the church that you're closer to. How much do you understand about their everyday situation? And... Uh, how much time have you spent actually asking them about what they're going through and trying to figure that out? Then we need to know what are your responses? What kind of responses are you having to your situation? Uh, this is where you look at their behavior and you look at the themes and the patterns of their lives. And uh, uh, it, it will tell you, when you see their responses, it will tell you a lot about what those people believe to be true about life. <clears throat> and then you want to know about a person's thoughts. What does this person think about what is going on? Um, this is where you get into their interpretations and maybe any distortions that they have about, about life. And then we want to ask about motives. What does this person want out of what is going on? Uh, I, I was listening one time to some tapes on negotiation. And this is so simple that you, you just never do stop to think about it. But you're working for a company and a customer shows up with a complaint. And you go through and you, everybody's jumping through hoops trying to deal with this complaint. And this, just, this was so obvious once somebody finally pointed it out to me. Ask the customer, what do you want? When we get finished here, what are you looking for? And sometimes that will shorten, the, probably always shorten the process so that, you know, you just say, well, what is it you want? And you might be able to just do it right there without a lot of haggling and, and uh, negotiation. But it will it, certainly set the direction of your negotiation. Well, it's the same thing. When you're talking to people, what do you want out of this? You've got to, 
you got a tough situation here. What do you want in the end to happen? <clears throat> as as Tripp said, I mean, it's easy. It's easy with a customer who's complaining. You're going to find out what they want, and uh, and you deal with it. What if what they want is for this situation to go away, but it's not going away? Then that gets a little tougher, and so you go from there. Um, if you have the book on page 188, there's a little chart here at the bottom, and these first two deals. That's kind of an information gathering thing. The second two things, thoughts and motives, begin to reveal the heart of the person you're talking to. And you begin to see some things. This is where you, you start finding out what they're thinking and what's going on in their heart. And you remember the, the whole premise, I mean, the whole thing through this book, Tripp has said it over and over. We're looking for radical personal transformation, and that comes in the heart. And then, I mean, it's not even 10 o'clock yet, and we're, <laughs> we're already at the end of this chapter. You guys can't believe it. This has been a deal with this book for me, is that when you're reading a trip book, by the time you get to the end of the chapter, you've completely forgotten about the first of the chapter. And I've had to go back and dig these chapters and dig them and parse them and come down to, because he's a... a Loquacious guy, <laughs> and it, it, and so I have to work really hard to get these lessons ready, and then I get up here and I go, it's ten o'clock. What what have I done with my time all week? That it so. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll, looks like we're gonna have time for a discussion. Let's talk about emotions. I don't I won't really know why he brought up emotions at the end of the chapter, except that we do go to emotions. What, uh, what responses, when people get responses, you're going to see their emotions pretty quick. And uh, uh, so why did he not put emotions on this list? And he felt an, a need to go back and explain, I didn't put emotions on this list for this reason. Um, <clears throat> if you have If you have the book, let's look at page 195, and I'll... I'll try, those of you who don't have books, I'll try to slow down enough that, that we'll get this. If you look down about the uh, middle of the page, the sentence starts with, what does this have to do with emotions? <clears throat> what does all this have to do with emotions? Uh, he has just explained, to demonstrate how the wisdom of the Lord and the transforming grace of Christ are powerful enough to address the deepest issues of human experience. Um, the Bible, he's talking about the brutal honesty of the Bible. We tend to think of emotions as, uh, as a bad thing. We tend to say, oh, you're just being emotional, settle down. We, we tend to like rationality, we don't like emotions. And... Uh, I, I think that's a mistake when we do that. It, it really is, because emotions are so much a part of us. And do you consider the Bible as something that deals with emotions? And that's what he's talking about here. The Bible is brutally honest to demonstrate how the wisdom of the Lord and the transforming grace of Christ 
are powerful enough to address the deepest issues of human experience. If you read Scripture carefully, you will never get the idea that the work of Christ is for well-adjusted people who just need a little redemptive boost. It never presents any human condition or dilemma as outside the scope of the gospel. Redemption is nothing less than the rescue of helpless people facing an eternity of torment apart from God's love. What does this have to do with emotions? Everything. As it puts real-life experiences on every page, Scripture depicts the full range of human emotions. It captures the violent jealousy of Cain, the bitter tears of barren Hannah, the fear of Israel as their Egyptian masters close in on them at the Red Sea. It pictures the joy of national victory, the delights of pure worship, and the crushing grief of David over the death of his evil son, Absalom. It depicts the death wish, discouragement of Elijah, the heartlessness of the Pharisees, and the desperate pleas of beggars for someone's help. It shows us the fury of Christ in the desecrated temple, his grief and pain over his separation from the Father, his tenderness in seeking out his fearful and confused disciples after his resurrection. It shows Zechariah celebrating the birth of his son and Mary and Martha mourning the death of their brother. The full rainbow of human emotion is depicted in Scripture in a way that only the one who knows the heart could do. God gives us emotions. It's his creation. He gave us emotions. There's nothing wrong with emotions. So why did Tripp leave emotions out of his list? Um, And it's because emotions are a significant aspect in all four categories. Emotions are the weather of relationships and situations. I think it might be important to say at least, and and I'm off script here, when you're talking to people, you've got to separate the emotions from these other four categories. The information you're trying to get is in these four categories. The way you're trying to organize things is in those four categories. So you've got to get through the syrup of the emotions to get to the pancakes underneath, you know. That's... (laughs) uh, But, but emotions are so intertwined with everything that's going on. Uh, they are important, but they're not a separate category. <clears throat> to uh, accurately grasp the themes and patterns of a person's life will include recognizing the emotional color of what was said and done. And to fully understand people, you must know what they feel. Was it frustration? Is it joy? Exactly what are you feeling? Our feelings express our reactions to our interpretations. Our emotions express our reactions to our interpretations. So when you meet somebody who's depressed, you know, as an example... Their demeanor and what's going on in their lives in this depression is an expression of their interpretation of life. 
If you meet someone who's happy, we're, what does that what does that say? We'll come back. My emotions express what I crave. My emotions express what I treasure. My emotions express what I serve. My emotions express what I worship. If I crave your approval and I don't get it, how am I going to react to that? And if you, if, you know, maybe we've all been in this at one time or another where you crave the approval of another person, you don't get it, and it puts you into a real funk. And you just, you're just down, you're melancholy, and, and uh, you make it, you, you, maybe you've made the mistake or the sin of craving somebody's approval to the point that you're worshiping that person. And, and you've got to have the approval of that person or your life is no good. Uh, if you crave recognition at work and you don't get that recognition, uh, how do you react to that? Have you come to the place where you're worshiping recognition at work, worship, uh, craving the recognition of the people around you to the point that that has become an idol for you? It always feels good when people uh, say nice things to you and uh, um, do nice things around you and for you, that's all great. And, and we're all supposed to do that. We're just not supposed to worship it because that is an idol. And we're putting that, we're saying this is what will make me happy. We're no longer saying God is what makes me happy. Christ is what makes me happy. We're saying this recognition is what's going to make me happy and make me worthwhile. So it does. Uh, our emotions, when we get frustrated about those things, is a place where our emotions uh, have, have exposed what I crave. Okay? Yes, sir? What, what value does it? have that he gave us these four things in the no category before we come to the speak category I would say uh, I'm just I'm kind of guessing here because I hadn't thought about it but uh, let's go back to what we talked about at the first to know people we get to know people when it would, you, until you kind of sit back and think about these four things it, he's, he's given you kind of a um, kind of a tool here to use. I'm talking to somebody, I'm gathering information. Here's this great tool for me to sit down and really analyze what's going on with this person before I try to talk to that person. You know, it's something that's, that uh, Celeste Headley says in her deal. I'll give you a little clue. And, and for me, I find this to be true. Uh, I've talked to four people, like I said, who over the past 14 months have lost spouses. And, and Headley cautions against this, and it's not the first time I've heard this caution, but I always forget it. Never, ever say that your experience is the same as their experience. I know just where you're coming from, you know. Don't ever say that. You don't know where they're coming from. And she warns against that. And, uh, and I think it's a good warning because I'm so good at it, you know. <laughs> say, I know just where you're coming from. Uh, you don't know where people are coming from. You've got to ask them. And you ask them, and you let them talk. 
and then you gather that information. <clears throat> and um, that's what I would say, <clears throat> that we have this before speak. Don't speak till you know where somebody's coming from and you've got an accurate assessment of what's going on in their lives. Did that, did that help any, or do you think that's accurate? Or Right. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. So. Oops, that's not good. <laughs> Back up a little bit. Dave, can we start that? Sorry. Didn't intend to get quite there yet. Is that where we are? Emotional color. Okay. And to, to fully understand. So let me ask you this. We talked about where your anger comes from. Have you ever stopped to think that your joy comes from the same place your anger comes from? Uh, your, your joy comes from interpretations you're making about life. And, uh, and Tripp has this sentence. If we grasp in our hearts the goodness grace and glory of the Lord, we live with joy and hope. I think a lot of times that's where we're trying to bring people to. And that's where we need to bring ourselves to. You cannot will yourself into a joyful countenance. Um, You cannot will yourself to have peace and joy. You can't just say, I'm going to choose to have peace and joy. Your peace and joy come from the same place your anger comes from. It comes from interpretations you're making of the world. So if I, if, I say, if I say, I'm a pretty good person, I just need a little bit of tweaking, and I need salvation. But other than that, I'm a pretty good person, and I deserve a lot out of life. <clears throat> Am I going to be, tend to be a joyful person, or have I kind of set myself up for a little disappointment? But if I say... God has not given me what I deserve and he has given me what I don't deserve and that is a shield from his wrath. How am I going to live life? And that's where your, that's where your biblical worldview and organizing people's thinking into it through a biblical grid and organizing your thinking through a biblical grid can help people to have joy because if, if people come to realize this, that their joy comes from an accurate interpretation of the world and that accurate interpretation of the world is that, um, that this, is, this life is not for your glory, it's for God's glory and you get to live in, and you do live in God's grace. That's going to change everything about how you deal with disappointment. So I'll go back to what Tripp said at the first. Holding on to God's grace and glory is the only way to deal with the disappointment and loss that is so much a part of life. And I'd like to close my part here on page 197. And I know you're going to love this, those who... If you have a book, if you're near somebody who has a book, we're going to be on page 197. And if, if you don't have a book, I'll, uh, again, try to read slowly enough that you, you can follow this, and, and I hope, 
hope it makes sense to you. If you understand the story of redemption, you know that God does not seem to be in a fearful hurry that often drives our efforts to help others. Following his example means that we can take the time to ask, listen, think, interpret, and pray. We should not assume that we know more about people than we really do. Following God's example encourages us to take the time to ask biblical questions that help people take a long look at themselves and their lives. It encourages us to follow question with question, assuring them that we really want to understand and organizing what we learn so that we can think about it from a distinct scriptural perspective. We do all of this to bring the transforming grace of Christ to people as they really are in the midst of what they are really facing. This work of knowing people well is propelled by the two great commands Jesus summarized in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Because I love God, I want to handle his truth with accuracy, clarity, and specificity. I want to build bridges of understanding from the wisdom of the word to the details of people's lives. And because I love people, I will not be satisfied with lobbing grenades of general truth at them. Rather, through good questions, committed listening, and careful interpretation, I will enter their world with the understanding necessary to bring Christ's help to where it is really needed. For these reasons, even something as seemingly mechanical as gathering personal information can be fueled by love and become an opportunity to to incarnate the presence and grace of the one who is love. Um, it takes time, and time is that sacrifice, that sacrificial lifestyle. To take the time to listen to someone is an act of living a sacrificial life. Time, what, who right now would say that time is your most precious commodity? I heard this, I heard this years ago, that in this new generation, money is not what turns them on. Time turns them on. I even had a young man ask me one time, I'm about to go out and interview for jobs. Do you think it would be wrong for me to ask how much vacation time I'm going to have? I said, I think that would be a wrong thing to ask. They're, they're not hiring you to give you time off. If you like time off, don't interview. You know? <laughs> so, time is, is a very valuable commodity to us today. And... Uh, it's the one thing maybe we hate to give up more than, than we hate to give up money. But that is what I think we're called to do. And uh, uh, it, 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 definitely, it definitely puts your agenda on the shelf to a certain degree to take the time to listen to other people. But it takes a lot of effort to listen, to really listen to what other people are saying to you. And it's a, it's a skill that most of us probably need to polish up a little more than what we've polished it. Because I'm so interested in saying what I want to say, 
I don't like to listen to what other people say. And, uh, and uh, so, anyway, that's our chapter. I just encourage you uh, to think in terms of this book as, as Trip, his whole purpose of writing this book, holding on to God's grace and glory is the only way to deal with the disappointment and loss that is so much a part of life. So, I'm done. That's all I have to say, and I took up most of the time, so I'm feeling pretty good right now. <laughs> and, uh, but does anybody have any comments, any feedback, anything that you'd like to add? <clears throat> right. Uh, that's a good point. <clears throat> that's a good point. It, it, and, and it also frees us from believing that it's us who is going to change this person. What have I not said? Or how am I not saying this correctly because this person's not changing? We're not the ones who are going to bring about that change. I will never say anything that changes another person. And that's what I think is important about this book, too. The title of the book is Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer. And, uh, and it is the Redeemer who brings about the change, and we are just his instruments. And uh, I'm sure you remember this, too, from the first chapter. People change slowly if they change at all. And that is, that is, that's you and me, too. It's not just people we're ministering to. That's you and me, too. People change slowly if they change at all. And Brad's absolutely correct. People will change at God's pace and not at my pace. That's right. I was going to bring this up. I, I thought about this as I was getting ready. And uh, if you, if, if you, most of our conversations, you know, pretty on a, pretty much on a surfacey level, you know. Uh, how about them cowboys? How about them Yanks? And, uh one thing I've always appreciated about Brad is that anytime I get with Brad, I know I'm about to be involved in a, a more serious discussion. It's always been fun hanging around with Brad because he always gets to these, oh, man, there's something on my mind. I don't want to talk about it, you know. And uh, it's, it's always been a joy. I think, it, I think we'll find, too, if you're not involved in heavier conversations with people, that's uh, just such an enjoyable thing once you get there. You're no longer talking about <clears throat> things that may not be all that important. So, anyway, thanks for that comment, Brad. What else? Anybody? Does anybody have? <clears throat> um, I guess going back to the four people I met who uh, lost their spouses, I haven't felt that any, there, there were three of those conversations that I did not feel good about after I left those conversations. The conversation I felt the best about was the one where I asked the most questions. And we never have the right thing to say. But we can, I just let me stress that, we can almost think of the right thing to ask. And if nothing else, ask, how are you doing today? What's going on with you? Are you shaving every day? Are you getting out of bed every day? Uh, what's it like going to bed at night? Uh, uh, 
How's, how's the structure of your life during the day? How's this affecting your job? Those are the kinds of questions you can ask, and, and they'll come to you, you know, if you just think, what would I like somebody to ask me? And, and you just start asking those questions, and you get conversations, and you, you actually learn about what's going on. So, anybody? Okay. Uh, well, it's 1025. We get five minutes. So, thanks. That's all I've got.